This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Monday. We are back. New format. Same us. Same us. <laughs> same same old voices. That's right. Uh, <laughs> boards are, for the most part, behind us, and we are continuing to learn. We're continuing to get better. Uh, and today, this week, we are actually touching on the topic of caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, Daphna, you suggested caffeine as our first topic. Was there any... Uh, any reasons, anything prompted you to say like? Well, I um, I love the CAP trials. I think that, um, you know, we say, oh, the CAP trial, but there are multiple studies in that series. And I'm not sure, you know, everybody has a good grasp. And so I think that's um, where we started. We're going to use some of, like we said earlier, the landmark papers as a, as, as a jump off point. Um, say, how did we get there? What did we learn? What's left to learn. And we're hopeful that we can drum up some ideas by doing these like kind of teeny tiny uh, lit reviews um, for people who might say, I'm interested in that. Um, is there is there an angle that I can take? So. Listen, don't minimize our work. It's not like tiny little <laughs> lit reviews. Like I worked hard on this one. I know you did. Know <laughs> you did. Well, shall we get started? Let's go. Okay. So caffeine you all know a little bit about caffeine, one of the most commonly used psychoactive substances in the world. It's been studied extensively in animal models um, for its neurobehavioral effects. Um, And it is one of the FDA approved uh, treatments in neonatology. Um, So we obviously use caffeine, one of the few. Um, We use caffeine uh, for the treatment of apnea of prematurity um, and for the prevention of bronchopulmonary dysplasia in preterm infants. Um, there are non-FDA approved uses of caffeine all over medicine. Uh, people are using it for um, post-dural uh, like lumbar puncture headaches, treating migraine headaches, enhancing athletic performance. Um, it's been uh, linked with decreased all-cause mortality. And um, the current uh, investigational uses are really for depression and a lot of the neurocognitive um problems like Alzheimer and Parkinson's. So there's still so much exciting research going on with caffeine today. Um, but we're going to go, we're going to work it backwards and say, right. how did we get here for apnea and prematurity? So I wanted to start off by, I love the story of like, do you know how mm-hmm. coffee became a thing? I, I've been waiting for you to tell me. Yeah. So it, it started in, <laughs> in what I think is modern day Ethiopia, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like this, this shepherd who had I, th- I forgot maybe goats and the goats started uh, chewing on on mm. on the berries right on the on the caffeine berries and they wouldn't so, go to sleep and they were much more excited <laughs> Alert, right they were yeah. they were they were jumping around and so and so the shepherd says I should try this mm-hmm. <laughs> and he started chewing on the beans and he felt much more energized and so then he brought it up to like the local I guess lord Elders. or. Or Lord or or whatever whatever person was in charge of the area and got completely dismissed. It was like, God, oh, sure. this is so stupid. And as revolutionaries the, often do. But listen to this. That was the cool part of the story. Is that this this Lord then says, All right, like whatever, whatever he brought, like just throw it in the fire. 
Mm. And he and they threw the beans in the fire, and coffee started to roast, and mm. the smell was, was so, good. so good that they said, "Let's do this again." And they they took the the powder that came out of there and put it in water, and that's how they drank the first cup of coffee because uh, of the moly. smell. I know how cool was that? Wow, wow. So my big question for the history of of caffeine was who. Who thought of caffeine and said, hey, I, we should try caffeine in these babies with apnea of prematurity? And, and the story of that is quite interesting. So um, the, the idea that preterm infants suffer from recurrent apnea was something that quickly became apparent to the neonatologist, right? Um, and early on, all they could do is just be supportive, just mm -hmm. try to do some stimulation, provide some oxygen, sometimes intubate, provide mechanical ventilation. Um, but the real frustrating part was that they were recurrent and unpredictable. And that's the first thing I want to bring up to the attention of the audience is that when this studies started coming out, like in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, they didn't have continuous monitoring, right? I mean, right. those kids were in the bed, like there was no alarms, there was nothing. Kids yeah. went apneic and you had to like. Yeah, no, I mean, early, uh, I mean, early NICUs, they weren't even called, they weren't called NICUs. I mean, just had people at the bedside just mm -hmm. watching for apnea. And so when you read some of these old studies, it's so much, so, so anxiety provoking to hear them saying, yeah, we, we follow these babies super closely because we were watching, we were directly observing them every hour. Mm -hmm. And it's like mm -hmm. every hour? Like, what do you mean every hour? That's the time. Like every hour? Like, so they could have had apneas in between those moments. Like, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Um, and, and it makes you thankful a little bit about the state of technology that I don't have to worry about those things. And I don't have to worry about a kid going apneic in its incubator while I'm doing something else and the kid dying on us. You know, it's so, mm -hmm. so frightening. So the first paper that I could find that really uh, initiates the, the idea behind the, the, the caffeine for apnea prematurity dates back to 1973. And this was a uh, paper published in the Archives of Disease and Childhood. Um, the um, paper was published in 1973 by a physician called Yan Kuzemko. And the paper was titled um, Apneic Attacks in the Newborn, treated with aminophilin. And what um, this physician who was a Polish guy who was born in the was born in the 1930s basically got smuggled out of Eastern Europe uh, into the UK where he studied medicine and became uh, a famous pediatrician. He uh, postulated with his co-author, um, I don't have the first name, but Dr. Pala, um, that aminophilin could be a um, that aminophilin could be a reasonable treatment and prevention of apnea of prematurity. Now, his idea was that the mechanism of action of aminophilin on the respiratory and vasomotor centers and on the myocardium of the neonate mm -hmm. could be useful treatment and prevent and could provide useful treatment and prevention for neonatal apnea. So in this paper from 1973, he tried to give aminophilin to 10 babies with RDS. Um, Mind you, aminophilin at the time was given rectally, <laughs> and mm -hmm. the dose was empirical, uh, five milligram. In this study, um, the the ten babies that received uh, the aminophilin ranged from gestation of like twenty six weeks to thirty four weeks, birth weight between eight hundred and sixty grams and twenty two hundred yeah. grams. I think this makes even like 
this is even more appalling when you realize that like you don't have continuous monitoring and it's like you have 26 weekers. Um, mm -hmm. That's very scary. Um, so the results of the studies were, were quite conclusive that aminophilin significantly uh, reduced uh, the episodes of apnea and that the babies were much more stable as a result and, and much easier, much simpler to manage. Even if like in, in, within those 10 babies, one baby passed away, um, the authors of the paper at the time said we, they, they didn't believe that this was due to aminophilin or any side effects uh, due to aminophilin. So then this 1973 study is followed by a bunch of other studies who are very, by a bunch of other studies and investigators who are super interested in this idea that aminophilin can reduce apnea of prematurity. Now, because of the mechanism of action of aminophilin, everybody's aware that the, the, the main agent there is theophylline, right? Because aminophilin is known to release theophylline as soon as it enters the body. So that's really what became uh, the, the medication and the agent of interest. And most of these studies were small, you know, they were like 10, 20 babies or less, but they all noticed the same things, less apnea. And then in 19, it, it was not really until 1977 that the first paper that started looking at caffeine specifically for the treatment of prematurity would be um, published. And it came out in the Journal of Pediatrics. And the first author was Dr. Jacob Aranda. Uh, this was from a group out of Montreal in Canada, um, and it included a lot of other famous, famous people, most notably Professor Tanya Gunn, who, for those of you who don't know, is the person who thought maybe if we called baby was with HIE, they would have less problems. Mm -hmm. So a pioneer, to say the least. And, um, and that paper was uh, called The Efficacy of Caffeine in Treatment of Apnea in Low Birth Weight Infants. Now, I have to tell you a story about Dr. Aranda, who I almost met. <laughs> Famous by proxy, I guess you are. <laughs> right. Uh, but you'll listen. It's a pathetic story. So Dr. Aranda, um, I don't know if he's still there, but when I was applying for fellowship, he was um, either the chair, he was obviously high position at Downstate uh, SUNY Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York, right? Mm -hmm. And when I applied for fellowship, I initially applied to a lot of different places, but I was in New York at the time. So I applied to all the places in New York, including mm -hmm. downstate. And I went on a few interviews and things went great. Like I had a few programs that really liked me that I really liked. And so when the interview for downstate came around, I was like, you know, I don't know if this is worth my time because I feel like I have other programs that I have better, that I'm a better fit at. And now, and my program director said, listen, you applied, they're inviting you, you should go. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, you're right, I should go. And then I was trying to look through the application to see like, what can make this day for me um, even better, right? Beyond just being an interview. And I see that Dr. Aranda is the chair. I'm like, holy smokes, like he's the caffeine guy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going there, mostly excited about the fact that I'm going to get to meet Dr. Aranda and I'm going to get <laughs> like to talk to him. So, I mean, this is right. I mean, this is like pre-incubator stuff where just getting to you're talk to- You're such a nerd. You're <laughs> such a nerd. And I get there and I, they give me my, you know, like how you get there, they give you your itinerary mm -hmm. and he's not on it. And I say, he's busy. Yeah. He ain't got time for you. So I go to the, to the secretary. I say, why, why am I not meeting with Dr. Renda? <laughs> and and what, did, she what did the secretary She tells say? me like Daphna said, he's busy. He's busy. <laughs> he doesn't interview little prospective fellows like you. And I didn't <laughs> say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They never said that. They never said that. But he said, no, he's very busy and he's not here today or whatever. And I was so disappointed. Like I was like, oh, like I was, I was really looking forward to that. Anyway, 
that was my story of not meeting Dr. Aranda. <laughs> so in 1977, um, the studies using theophylin and aminophilin pointed at the fact that apnea of prematurity must have been uh, in part caused by um, the failure or the immaturity of the central regulation of respiration. So in line with this reasoning, they thought if methylxanthines, which is the category of medication that we're talking about here, what is another methylxanthine that's super, super potent? And that's how caffeine came about. So like if you actually Google methylxanthines, you'll see theophylline and you'll see caffeine. Mm-hmm. And when they, they started um, thinking um, theoretically about the use of caffeine, they thought, you know, it's a more potent central respirogenic agent with less peripheral effects mm-hmm. than theophylline. And um, maybe we should try this medication or this agent for the treatment of apnea of prematurity. And so they studied 18 low birth weight infants with a mean gestational age of 27 weeks and a birth weight mean of about like a kilo. And they initially, so this is very interesting. So they didn't know what dose, right? So they, right, they're starting right. in 1977. So it's like, what's the dose? They don't know. So they said, all right, we're going to start at a dose of 20 mgs per kilo per dose of caffeine once to three times per day. And they said, we're going to follow plasma concentrations of caffeine. So we'll share the, the paper. And um, what you see is that when they looked at the serum, basically it created these like little bumps. So like they were able to get the baby to a certain level and then another 20 mix per kilo dose was being mm-hmm. given and then another bump and the level of caffeine in the blood rose astronomically. So with that information on hand, they changed their protocol. And now they said, we're going to load with 20 mix per kilo and we'll follow it with a maintenance of five to 10 mix per kilo once or twice per day. And right there, you start seeing in 1977 that the dose we're using today for caffeine, this is where it comes from, right? So it's from this study Mm -hmm. where they started following the serum caffeine level of these babies that we have, um, right, the first first hints, even if it's not exactly, exactly that, obviously, because you can give five mgs once a day, but Mm -hmm. twice a day, fine. But I'm saying you start seeing where the practice is coming from. And now with this regimen, they noticed a decrease in the frequency of apneic spells very significantly from about like 14 per day to two or less uh, per day. And so from then on, um, many papers were published looking at theophylline and caffeine to treat and prevent apnea of prematurity. Um, And the big question was, how did the field really lean towards one over the other? Mm -hmm. Because aside from um, the study that we mentioned, like all the other studies with theophylline were pretty conclusive. But a few things actually um, played a role. Um, and, and the main issue obviously was medical medication toxicity. So theophylline has significant side effects that include tachycardia, jitteriness, irritability, vomiting, abdominal distension, feeding intolerance, seizures, hypoglycemia, electrolyte disturbance, and all that stuff is terrifying, but it's, it's not something that's unmanageable. But the problem is, um, that it has a very narrow therapeutic window. And when you compare that with caffeine, um, it's really not the case. So caffeine is more potent to begin with, as we've said, uh, and from the 1977 paper by Dr. Aranda, it penetrates the CSF better, and um, it's more potent centrally on the uh, respiratory uh, centers of the brain. It has a much longer half-life than theophylline. I think theophylline is about eight hours. Caffeine has about like 103 hours of Mm half-life. And its side effects are minimal unless unless you reach really, really high plasma concentration. And so <clears throat> considering um, considering the two medications, um, 
it made sense to move away from theophylline that had a much higher risk of side effects to caffeine where um, the therapeutic window was not nearly as, as narrow as it is for theophylline. Interestingly enough, um, the, there was in 1999, there was a company that started creating mixed standardized solution for caffeine. So suddenly now you had a product mm -hmm. that made the whole process much easier. And so that this is an interesting idea where you wonder whether um, pharmaceuticals in the way they're providing right. tools to clinicians can influence a little bit where things are going. But what transpired from the research I did in the 80s and the 90s is that um, the studies, um, the U.S., was using theophylline for a very long time and, mm -hmm. and other countries moved, it seemed a bit more quickly towards caffeine. Um, but the bottom line is there was no real big trial, right, that assessed the two. So it was usually based on evidence. And you have to assume that a lot of these centers that had conducted these smaller studies were relying on the evidence that they had published, right? So um, it's, it's interesting that there was a bit of this dichotomy. We all know, obviously, that everybody eventually moved to caffeine because we're all here to, to witness and, and testify to that today. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is there was no large randomized trial assessing caffeine. And I think this is where um, we're going to leave off today because tomorrow we, we will introduce you to the revolution that was the CAP trial. Very exciting. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for the review. I think it's so um, interesting. So much of neonatology is like this. They said, we don't have, we have a problem and how are we going to fix it? And what I think is most interesting about what Dr. Kuzemko did, you know, with the early um, Aminophilin studies is, you know, actually they were interested in and what it did to the myocardium. And it's really not until like the last um, decade, two decades where we even started saying like, you know, what does caffeine do to the myocardium? Like the fetal myocardium, right? right? Um, when, when um, birthing people are taking a lot of caffeine and we, we just revisited that, you mm -hmm. know? So um, it's, it's actually not so much why we use caffeine because we use it for um, its um, central nervous system effects, but it's, it's cool how that has evolved. So we are looking forward to talking about the progression of the CAP trial series tomorrow. All right. And we'll do some questions. Will we have a question scheduled for tomorrow? You got it. Cool. All right, Daphne. See you tomorrow. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.